There's all of that very overt indoctrination, but I think what's more damaging is the very subtle indoctrination. They'll slip in gender ideology. Woke ideology about race and gender has spread through much of American society, even the children's book industry, says conservative commentator and writer Bethany Mandel. It's a pretty toxic way to raise a child to either peg them as a victim or victimizer. Mandel is the editor of Heroes of Liberty Publishing. Their children's books have made headlines after their Facebook ad account was locked and subsequently reinstated. Today we discuss what she sees happening in the industry and growing red flags in K-12 education. Do you want to live in a country where everyone hates the country? This is American Thought Leaders and I'm Yanya Kellick. Bethany Mandel, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I just read the most amazing book. It's a kid's book, but I learned a ton from it myself. Thomas Sowell, A Self-Made Man. Yeah, that sounds very familiar. <laughs> well, so you're the editor of this new series of books. It encountered a bit of controversy lately. Yeah. But we'll talk a little bit about that. But mostly I want to learn about these books. Yeah. It's so fascinating. Beautiful illustrations, beautiful stories. And frankly, as I said, I, I learned a lot through yeah, it. Yeah, I did too, honestly. Um, so we have a series of three books out uh, with Heroes of Liberty. Uh, the first one is about Thomas Sowell. Uh, Ronald Reagan is the second. And Amy Coney Barrett is the third. And we sort of started this project because we we saw a hole in the market and the hole was like wholesome, patriotic, pro-American, really educational books uh, for children that were captivating. And part of that captivation for kids is the illustrations. The illustrations are really just beautiful and stunning and were a really high priority for us. Um, I'm a mother of five and, and I, I'm a connoisseur of children's books as a result. And, you know, kids need to be hooked into books with, with uh, great illustrations. And so that was, um, that was what we did. Well, okay. So let's start with, you know, the whole kind of the whole conceptualization of these books. Like why is this particular sort of picture book, and I understand it's from about eight to 12s, yeah. needed at this point. So the children's book industry as it stands now is extremely woke. The, the, from the top to the bottom of the pyramid of, you know, how it's kind of like the, um, the schoolhouse rock, like how a bill becomes a law, how an idea becomes a book. It's woke from top to bottom. So the the authors who are able to get contracts sort of ideologically fit this box that that is woke, um, or they can't be authors. And so they pitch books to agents who know what the editors want, and then the editors sort of have to at, go through the cycle of making sure that these fit the parameters of the dialogue that they need and, and the agenda that they need in the children's book industry. And so then you sort of follow the book through the editorial process and to the publishing houses. And the next step for, for a book become a, a sort of a well-selling book is it needs reviews. And so they get lots of good reviews and the more woke the book, the better the reviews. For well-reviewed books, then they land at the top of the award lists. Uh, and then once you get lots of awards from, again, woke award givers, then, uh, then they sort of land at the top of the recommendations for schools and librarians to purchase in bulk. If you were to put any blame on any part of the industry of sort of what's driving this, it's the educators, it's the librarians and the and the teachers. And so they have mass 
purchasing power and so they buy you know the most woke books in bulk and and then the cycle you know keeps on perpetuating um, so we saw a hole in the market because you know for the everyday parent for content that you don't have to pre-screen that that you know sort of imparts your values or at the very least you don't have to pre-read for me as a parent I'm happy with a book that I don't have to filter in any way and that I can just read to my kids but we saw that there wasn't just a market for that, but there was a market for books that were patriotic, that, that taught children about our country and about these great figures. And the nice thing about the books, sort of using, uh, using a biography is a really special way for kids to learn, and for me, honestly, personally also, um, to form a connection with a human being and a person, and then learn about who they were and their morals and everything, but also helps them learn about that time period as well, because they're forming a personal connection with that time period. Um, so, for example, with Thomas Sowell would probably be the best example of the first three. Um, you sort of learn about uh, Jim Crow and civil rights, and, and you sort of follow him through his life of what it was like to be a black American from, you know, when he was born until the present day. Well, you know, and it's very interesting because you, you, it co obviously covers a lot of yeah. ground. Thomas Sowell, thank goodness, is still with us and, and still uh, writing. It's not a preachy book. It's not trying to tell you how you need to be. It's a story of someone who uh, chose to make their life a particular way. Yeah, yeah, and that's something that I believe in deeply um, as you know, a connoisseur of children's literature. I, I homeschool my five children and we have a literature-based sort of philosophy that we follow in our homeschool, long predating my involvement with Heroes of Liberty. And, and so I sort of incorporated that that belief and that understanding into what we were doing, people think that children are stupid, and they're not. They they understand when they're being condescended to, they understand when they're being spoon-fed, and they can handle big ideas, and they can handle serious topics. And so we, we wanted to treat our readers, parents and children alike, as intelligent human beings and and give them you know the the whole meal and you know the the nice thing about children's literature so you know our age our age range is between like 7 and 12 i would say mm -hmm. but you know, my four-year-old takes something from it. He he might not he might not eat everything on the plate, <laughs> but he takes some of the green beans from the Thomas Sowell plate. There's this culture today, and I think it relates to wokeness and so forth that you kind of like, in some ways, shelter children from all a certain range of things and expose them dramatically to another range of things. Yeah. Um, but the, it's the sheltering part. I mean, this book, the Thomas Sowell book doesn't hide the realities yeah, of the Jim Crow yeah. and the difficulties and this this kind of whole realm. And I just I, I found that interesting and different from the limited number having you know nephews uh, of children's books that I've seen recently yeah and so that's that's another thing that I, I believe very strongly about and sort of treating human uh, treating children as human beings homeschool philosophy we follow is Charlotte Mason and so I like kind of slip into that dialogue a little bit, but she treats children as born persons. And so this idea that children are capable of, you know, eating the whole meal is part of the idea of how we treat children's literature. And so children understand that there is hardship and that there is difficulty in this world. And and I sort of struggle with this when I read, um, when I read any number of books with my children, like, oh, that's like Aesop's Fables. I would say 80% pretty violent, <laughs> pretty scary. Absolutely. And so one of the first questions that I had when I had my oldest was three or four years old was, do I really want to be reading this with her? This is scary and this is violent. And what I noticed and what I sort of 
talked to other homeschool moms and, wh and what they told me, and I've absolutely sort of found this to be true, is they're not scared when they're on your lap. And all of these things, they will eventually become uh, exposed to these ideas, to life and death and all these things. And what better place for them to learn about the difficulties and the injustices of uh, this world than on their mom's lap? And that's the safest sort of entry into the hardness of life. And so, especially with the Thomas Sowell book and, and going through our, all of our books, um, the Ronald Reagan book is also, there's, there's the introduction of the alcoholism of his father um, in that book and that that's a difficult topic but that's unfortunately a topic that a lot of children are going to be familiar with in their lives or become familiar with the idea of of alcohol addiction and dependency and it's treated very gently very carefully we're, we're not trying there we're not going for shock value but this was part of Ronald Reagan's life story and it, and it helped shape who he was as a person mm. and what better way for kids to be exposed to it than very gently very, very subtly, but on their mom's or dad's lap. It's really interesting. You hear about, you know, critical race theory not being taught in schools, right? And I always, whenever I hear that, I think, well, okay, perhaps that's true for young children. You're not going to teach the theory right. to young children, but it's the praxis. It's kind of the whole kind of ideology being kind of infused into the educational materials, right? Yeah. That's the question. So I guess my question is, why do you see this as a problem? Or what? What is the problem that? What? What does it bring in uh, to children that you don't that you don't want to see? So for children, I think the biggest issue with CRT, in in my personal opinion, is that for white children, it, it teaches them that they should feel sorry for being white when it's just that's just who you are and that's okay. It's okay to be white. Um, and for black children, I think it's actually m more damaging because it's teaching them that they are inherently victims and that they they have been victimized by everyone around you and, and by everything around you. And so it's a pretty toxic way to raise a child to either peg them as a victim or victimizer. And all of those things come with emotional baggage um, and there's no need for that because a white four-year-old boy is not a victimizer and a black you know four-year-old girl is not a victim they are equal humans and that was something that we really wanted to drive home especially in the Ronald Reagan book or not I'm sorry the Thomas Sowell book um, that you know he had difficulty absolutely but he still you know pulled himself up by his bootstraps and didn't take any favors and he didn't he didn't want any shortcuts and he was better for it and that's a lesson that i think every child needs to hear that the shortcuts in life are not going to um it's it's the it's the road that is the journey the journey is as important as the destination and um, and that's an important lesson for for any child to hear and so you know, you you kind of indict the publishing industry for you know prioritizing wokeness within the literature, mm -hmm. within within the writing and the picture books. And so, how how does this actually manifest? Like, you presumably you've seen things that you were like, okay, no, this isn't going to be something my kids are going to be reading. Yeah. Like, what what are the sorts of things that you're so seeing? Yeah. It's it's so funny. I was actually I was at my husband's office right before I came here, and I was going to grab it, and I forgot. There's a a new picture book out, the ABCs of AOC. Mm -hmm. So A is for activist, B is for Bronx, and there's all of that very overt indoctrination. But I think what's more damaging is the very subtle indoctrination. And so I've spoken to a number of authors and um, different people who are much more intimately familiar with the children's book industry, the mainstream 
of it and how it stands. And what they've told me the, the most insidious thing that they do is slip in gender ideology within in a book that's completely separate. So accounting book or, or things like that. There's there's a, a, a girl who thinks she's a boy in a book about counting, for example. And the t from the teacher's side of it, which I've, I've heard from, from literacy experts who work in schools, is they're not teaching it at explicitly, like a boy can be a girl, and that's, that's not what they're doing. They're using these sort of gender ideology books in lessons that are totally separate. So, you know, if you're learning this, a sentence structure, you could use a book called I Am Jazz, which is about a, a young boy who decided he was a girl, and it's the subject of a TLC show. It's a very famous transgender child and so that book I am jazz isn't used as an indoctrination tool at at the read aloud which by the way then would have to be put on the curriculum list that the teacher is is supplying to parents but instead a teacher would use that to teach about sentence structure and so that does two things it normalizes it and it also uh, makes it so that parents might not necessarily see like this is the list of read aloud books that we're reading aloud in our classroom this year well yeah and that's actually that just it makes me think of this other theme that there seems to be this sort of activism around teachers. You say that the teachers are the one yes. who are kind of driving this whole the, the, through their purchasing power. There seems to be this sort of um, idea that the teachers have the right or even perhaps the duty to function outside of the realm of the parents' knowledge because otherwise how can we get our plan across or ideas yeah. across, yeah. right? You pretty much verbatim told me what I heard from a teacher last night. I have been, t you know, this is this is a topic that animates me sort of in my professional life as an opinion writer as well. And I spoke to a teacher literally last night who said that same thing. They, they see it as their job because the, I mean, these, these knuckle dragging, bigoted parents are not going to introduce these topics to their children. So it's our job, it's our responsibility to make sure that they're being exposed to these topics so that when they grow up, they're not bigots like their parents. Presumably the uh, Virginia gubernatorial election or the Virginia elections with uh, you know Governor Youngkin being yeah. elected yeah. sort of speaks to what parents think about that. I think it does but I, I'm not sure how much of the governor election was about CRT and how much it was just they kept the schools closed for a year and a half in Northern Virginia and people uh, were really mad. Youngkin um, did not have Randy Weigarten uh, give his closing statements <laughs> so that I mean that that can be pretty damaging um, so but I, I think that I think it's all intertwined but it's hard to sort of pin down what percentage um, is CRT. I, and I think that the school closures added to a lot of this also. And, and I think that it, you can't really separate it because a lot of parents over the course of the school closures saw firsthand what their kids were learning. And they were alarmed by it and they should have been alarmed by it. So I'm not sure how much I would put it on CRT versus I think just parents have lost faith in the education system as it stands, rightfully so. There seems to be, or many people I've spoken with, let's put it this way, a number of people I've spoken with tell me that one of the things about, you know, in these woke books as you describe them is that they're explicitly not patriotic or even anti-patriotic. Yeah, so, so explain this to me. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is this is sort of part and parcel of of the whole sort of woke and progressive ideology, not necessarily as it pertains to kids, but, you know, America is a flawed nation. So um, I, 
one of the things we want to do in the future with Heroes of Liberty is do a Founding Fathers series because a lot of books that tackle the Founding Fathers will talk about their slave owning and will sort of degrade our Founding Fathers. And that's not to say that they were um, that they were not imperfect people. They were absolutely imperfect people. But uh, there's so many dimensions to issues like slavery and, and the fact that many of our Founding Fathers did own slaves. But the impression that you get when you read mainstream children's literature written about people like George Washington, there's such a heavy emphasis on his slave owning that it really detracts from the larger picture of who he was and who he accomplished. And I think that it's important for children to know about those things. We're not whitewashing this, this you know, not great part of our history, but at the same time, we don't want them to, to hate America. We don't want them to hate themselves. And, um, and that seems to be the goal of a lot of these books about American history from in the mainstream is, you know, to view America as a flawed nation built on a uh, crumbling rock, basically. You said something interesting. They they hate themselves yeah. along. So how so? Yeah, like, I mean, we're Americans. And so if you if you raise children that white people are victimizers and and men especially are, there's that whole other aspect of, you know, the anti-masculinity stuff. And then Americans are inherently racist because we, you know, this is a country built on the foundation of racism. I mean, that's, that's basically the entire objective of the 1619 Project is to tell children, because now this is a curriculum that's in the schools, the 1619 Project wants children to believe and know that this country was built on a foundation of slavery and racism. And when we teach all of that, that has a lot of long-standing implications for children on an individual basis, but then also as a society, do you want to live in a country where everyone hates the country? And and that's the, that self-hatingness when it comes to America. So I think that what, what their objective is, is they want to be able to tear themselves down. It's very Marxist. They want to tear children down to build them into the way that they want them to be. And so the first step in building a child into what they want is to tear down everything that came before. It's, I mean, that's, that's. That's the Marxist project. Yeah. Right, right, fascinating. So, you know, there was actually some controversy, you know, with with your books. You know, apparently Facebook uh, took you down or took yeah. away your ability to market yeah. for some time, but then fate smiled on you. Tell me the story briefly and what, yeah. what you think happened. Yeah, so we were doing advertisements for our books in the lead up to Christmas. And I think it was about two days before Christmas, we got a notification that our, our advertising account was turned off. And that was a final decision on Facebook's part. And we tried to figure out how to reach a human being at the company, which turned out to be really impossible. And so uh, we sort of brought the story to a reporter at Fox Business named Tyler O'Neill. And he was like, this is crazy. How how could they what what they deemed um, us as it was disruptive or low quality, mm -hmm. disruptive content or low quality, and so these children's books were disruptive content. And so, um, you know, this the story got published on Fox Business, and and it really it got a lot of play, and. Uh, congressmen and, and people who work on the Hill contact, they saw the story on Fox Business and they contacted Facebook on our behalf. And they said, what's the deal here? And Facebook kind of, you know, even sharks have predators. And Facebook was like, oh, uh, okay, sorry about that. And they, they turned our account back on and um, notably told the members of Congress about a day and a half or about 
it was about a half a day before we heard. So they told us, um, and then you know the next day at noon, <laughs> Facebook told us. Um, but it was it's it's an interesting sort of you know people ask me why why did they do that? My personal pet theory because we've never been told why they never actually said this was this was what you were in violation of what i think happened was we were doing these ads for the books on reagan and soul and amy coney barrett and we had a lot of negative comments on them calling ronald reagan a war criminal and a fascist and um, amy coney barrett gender traitor and we think that they also clicked report on our content and they reported our, our, our advertisements to facebook and it probably landed on the desk of a very woke pencil pusher at Facebook whose job it is to just field all of these complaints. That's my sort of pet theory as to what happened. Um, and, and it sort of speaks to, you know, what happens when there's ideological capture of an entire industry. That's what happens when there's ideological capture of the entire tech industry. That controversy put us on the map for a lot of people and, and a lot of people wanted to support us and um, it, it taught us a lesson. I, we uh, we decided to shift our business model much more towards subscriptions mm -hmm. um, so that we wouldn't be dependent upon, uh, you know, marketing. So in going into the future, we're releasing a new book every month. And so next book, next month will be John Wayne and Alexander Hamilton, Margaret Thatcher and uh, Winston Churchill will be in the future. And it'll be I'm really excited because um, we've been talking a lot about Winston Churchill in our house. Um, and so with a subscription plan, we don't we don't have to sort of depend on the whims of big tech to to market every single book. And so we'll just send a book directly to folks and they, they get the first peak um, and that that's sort of a lot of people have asked, like, how are you changing the way that you're marketing your books? And it's a lot more towards building a community and getting them directly into people's hands so that um, this doesn't happen again. Our team reached out to Facebook, but we did not immediately receive a response. And, you know, the illustrations of the Thomas Sowell book at the very least are wonderful. I mean, yeah. truly wonderful. And but I understand you had trouble finding the people to do the illustration yeah. here in the U.S. Yeah, so if you thought that Thomas Sowell was great, wait until you see Alexander Hamilton, because that will just blow you out of the water. But yeah, we offered a, an enticing bid for, for illustrating these books, and, and folks were interested until they heard who they were illustrating. And then when they heard they were illustrating books about Amy Coney Barrett and Ronald Reagan and Thomas Sowell, they were like, I'm actually really busy for the next six months and can't illustrate any of those books for you. And it, what it came down to was they were afraid of being canceled. They were afraid that illustrating conservative books would sort of pigeonhole them and, and hurt their careers in the long term. And they, they could be sort of the center of a firestorm of some sort and uh, in sort of the illustrator world. And so we had to go and find illustrators from around the world. And so uh, this incredible Alexander Hamilton illustrator is based in Bulgaria. Um, but we have, you know, we have folks who are working with us from, I think, every continent but Antarctica um, because people, you know, Bulgarians don't care and, and folks from Brazil who, you know, that's another one of our illustrators. They just want to get paid and they want to do good work. And that's, you know, that's sort of a lesson of Thomas Sowell also. You just want to get paid and do good work. Um, and so we don't have any American illustrators uh, as a result because they were too afraid of, of getting into the fray of the mob uh, cancel culture. Although I suspect with as, you know, they get more prominent, you may get you may get some interest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we so, have already. So, you know, Thomas Sowell, I mean, yeah, you, you've talked a little bit about that. It's him, you know, just starting out in a you know very difficult situation at yeah. home 
quitting school, figuring out he might want to go to school, and then sort of building himself into the the intellectual powerhouse yeah. that he became. So what about, for example, the Amy Coney Barrett? I don't know much about her story. What What, what is the story? So that's my favorite of our books to talk about, actually. Um, and it was surprising because, you know, we have the three books and, and I we had the three names and I was the least excited about Amy Coney Barrett. She's very she's very new on the scene and, and doesn't have much sort of uh, accomplish-wise under her belt besides, you know, being a justice of the Supreme Court. So, I mean, who am I to say she's not very accomplished? But she hasn't been there very long is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. And so it was funny, I, we were reading the book the other day with my children and we watched the video of, um, that we have a picture in the book of, of her holding up the blank note card mm-hmm. and, um, and saying like, my, my notes are blank. This is, it's all coming from memory and so we pulled it up on YouTube and we showed the video to my kids and in the background you see people wearing masks and my kids know how the duration of the pandemic and they were like wait is this in the last two years and I said yeah she was just nominated and you know she's she's pretty new on the Supreme Court Um, but the the thing that I love about the Amy Coney Barrett book my oldest daughter is eight years old and there's so many books on the market for young girls and universally the books that are sort of on the market in the last five to ten years are very empowering, which I love. I love that my daughter is told that she can be an entomologist or a NASA scientist and all these things. And that's that's what boys and girls should be told. Um, but there's something really big missing from all of those books, and it's motherhood. And my daughter is the oldest of five, and she wants to have a family like her own. She wants to have a big family, and she really wants to be a mom one day. In addition to like the 17 jobs that she wants to, she wants to be a store owner, an entomologist, a, I, I, can't, I couldn't even list, engineer. She is, she's very ambitious. But that ambition is shown in all of the children's books that we read, except for the mom of a big family. And that's something that my daughter wants too. And that's something that we uh, we showcased in the book. We really showcased Amy Coney Barrett's motherhood. So for example, she bakes a cake for every single one of her children's birthdays from scratch. And that's a priority in her house. And now like my kids are like, why don't you bake us cakes? I'm like, well, I don't like to. <laughs> but now Amy Coney Barrett is setting me up. That's the message that my daughter is getting that you can do amazing things in your career while also being the mother of a big family. And that's not a message that young girls are getting now. Um, and we, we talk a lot as a society about uh, b- the birth rate as it stands now. And, and, I, and a lot of people sort of blame it on uh, young women or young men also who don't want to have families. And there is absolutely that component of it. But you know, people want to have their career and then they want to have kids. But when you start having kids when you're 38, you're not going to have six kids. It's just a biological fact. Um, but when a girl reads a book, or a boy, honestly, reads a book that you can have six, seven kids and also be a Supreme Court justice, that's, that, that's a really powerful message and one that girls are not getting now. Oh, that's absolutely fascinating. And so you mentioned that the alcoholism of his father is in the Ronald Reagan book. You know, he's actually like kind of rescues his yeah. father. I don't know the story. Yeah, I, I didn't either. I mean, this is one of the things that I love about our books is that I also learn things. And so uh, his father was drunk and fell asleep in the snow and uh, Ronnie dragged him out from the snow and saved his life because he would have died of hypothermia had he just fell asleep drunk outside, which is a thing that happens. Um, and the, the, the Ronald Reagan book sort of follows him through his life of, um, you know, he was a movie star, he was, you know, all of these things. And it's, it's really interesting for, I mean, I think it's a little bit less interesting now that we've had President Donald Trump because generally the road to presidency 
as as a child, you know, would understand it now. It's like, well, you're a senator and then you're this. But President Trump sort of broke that mold a little bit. Um, but it was fun to sort of talk about the comparisons between President Trump and Ronald Reagan because um, we've talked about other presidents, more recent presidents like Barack Obama and George W. Bush, and, and they had sort of more traditional government roles. And, um, and so we've talked about how President Trump did not have a, a government role before he became president. And then sort of as we're reading the Ronald Reagan book, oh, here's another president who didn't take that traditional route. Mm. Um, and so that was sort of of a fun conversation that was sparked by the Ronald Reagan book. Um, but the Ronald Reagan book is also just about like him as a person. And I think that, um, you know, when, you, when you're exposed to his anti-communism ideas and everything, they're especially powerful when you can see what parts of his life and his personality sort of sparked those passions. And, and you can sort of see that within the Reagan book. And it, it also lends itself to conversations about sort of communism more generally, which seems like a kind of hard conversation to have with an eight-year-old. But you can have them. Well, I can tell you they're very important conversations to have. You know, I, I remember having them, but I had them for a different reason. My right. parents escaped from communist Poland in the 70s. And frankly, you know, all the parents that did that sort of thing from Central and Eastern Europe, first of all, actually loved Ronald, loved Ronald right. Reagan kind of like across the board because of his role in ending the Cold War, yeah. so to speak. But also, you know, I remember, you know, learning those, I guess, lessons of the realities of that system yeah. helped me a lot to see changes in this country and in my home country of Canada and so forth. Yeah. Very, very valuable. Yeah. And I think probably not, almost not taught at all in the mainstream, right? Yeah, no, it's not. And, and especially, I mean, the, the conversations about communism in my household uh, have really been spurred on by, you know, the situation in China with everything that's happened with COVID over the last two years, there's been a lot of conversations. Um, I'm also just, you know, separately, one of my many passions, I'm passionate about the North Korean human rights situation. And mm -hmm. so um, I went to South Korea uh, several years ago with an organization called Liberty for North Korea. And so they remember mommy left for 11 days and have never let me live it down. Um, and so we talked about sort of communism in North Korea and, and what that means and communism in China and uh, that it's not unique that, you know, and, and the role that President Reagan played in ending communism in such a huge part of the country or part of the world, rather. Um, all, all of these things intertwine. It's like sort of to be like a nerdy homeschooler again, it's the science of relations. That's what Charlotte Mason talks about. The goal of an education of a child is so so that they form relationships and and everything that they learn has a relationship with something else um, in their in their present day or something else that they read and everything sort of has to make a connection um, and so the Ronald Reagan book was a really wonderful sort of tie-in to the conversation about communism and about China and North Korea and human rights and, and all of these things and it, it can spark a lot of really interesting conversations and you're saying you're having these conversations you know with your kids as young as eight. how old? Eight. Eight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're very deep thinkers, um, and they're they're very passionate young children, and I, I know where they get it from. Um, but they, they have a lot of opinions, and and it, they've been really wonderful to spark these conversations with my kids, and you read them over and over every time I get a box, you know, because I'm you know I'm getting lots of boxes of these books to bring to to different things. They break them out, and they they. They break them in. <laughs> they read them again and again. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, so for parents that are, for example, aren't homeschooling, whose kids are in the, you know, either the public system or the private school or something like this, how can, so the, I guess these books are a complement, like how do they fit into yeah. 
to so, the... So that's exactly what we wanted to do with these books. I mean, there's a, a growing number of homeschool families, and a lot of homeschool families have told me that they incorporated them into their lessons. But the thing about homeschooling is that it's not school at home. It's just parents teaching their kids. And homeschooling is just you're doing that for bigger parts of the day. And so it's our job as parents to sort of teach our kids and these books are, are that and so you know we one, one of our sort of taglines with Heroes of Liberty is you know taking back our kids for 15 minutes a day at bedtime and and changing the narrative um, and and growing their minds and, and, and planting these ideas in, my, in their minds and their hearts um, you know 15 minutes before bed which I, I mean I think everyone should be reading right before bed I'm a, I'm a really really big proponent of the power of reading out loud um, there's a wonderful book called uh, the Read Aloud Handbook by Jim Trelease, and he talks about the science of uh, of what happens to a child's brain when they read aloud. It's fascinating. I like. I could talk about that for another hour and a half. Well, well I can tell you. You know, my mother read to me aloud a lot. It was one well, of the things we did, and it was. I, it's it's quite memorable to me. So I'm sure there's something to what you're saying. Well, as I said, I you know I love the Thomas Sowell book. That's the only one I've read thus far. I'm looking forward to reading all of them, frankly. Thank you. And just very briefly, like how how can people find them? Yeah, so we're at heroesofliberty.com, and uh, we just started a subscription plan, and we've already sold hundreds of two-year subscriptions. So I've job security for two years, <laughs> but the hope is you know one a month. You know, at least for the next two years. But um, the subscriptions are definitely a great way to go, and you get the books before anyone else. But you can also buy individual books. We'll have John Wayne available pretty soon. But in the meantime, we'll have Amy Coney Barrett and Ronald Reagan and Thomas Sowell. Well, Bethany Mandel, it's such a pleasure to have you yeah, on. Yeah, thank you.